The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. If you want to be a part of the program, we'll go easy on the phone. We'll go easy on you on the phones today. How about that? Now, I, I have a, I've got a program in advisory, and this is actually important, and it doesn't apply to all of you, but I feel like I'm doing my service. You know, when the power goes out and you can't watch TV, oftentimes you still have radios. And if you are in the east, east of the Mississippi and above I-20, pretty precise geographic location there, isn't it? From the Mississippi River all the way over, uh, you're in for it. The, the snow has begun in some parts of the country. It is going to sweep all the way down into Georgia and South Carolina. An ice storm. We were going out of town this afternoon after the show. We were going to go up to the mountains uh, to Clayton, Georgia. It's a wonderful part of the country. If you've never been to the North Georgia mountains, people don't think about mountains in Georgia. You think about Atlanta or peaches, but beautiful mountains and great lakes up there, uh, great fly fishing. And we had to cancel the trip because they're expecting ice and about six inches of snow now. And the house we stay in has an electric pump for the water. So we would be stuck in a house with no heat, no water, and it would be miserable. So we had to cancel. Um, it's going to be bad, apparently. So your radio station, wherever you're listening to me, the Carolinas, Tennessee, Kentucky, uh, Georgia, if you're above I-20 and east of the Mississippi, uh, I will pray for you. I am thankfully south of I-20 in Georgia, so it's not supposed to affect me that much. But uh, remember, your radio stations, your local radio stations, wherever you are in the country, when the power's out and you can't get TV, you can get in your car or get on your phone and you can, as long as it has power, and hear the radio and your local radio station will help keep you safe. So just remember that, please. Now, we've got to begin with, a, it, I, I'm actually, this This is this is brazen. People like to talk about hypocrisy in politics. I don't know. I can't remember the last time I saw this level of hypocrisy. It's It's stunning. What have we been on about this week? The Democrats want to kill the filibuster in the Senate. They want to eliminate the filibuster to pass their federal grab of election powers to secure a Democrat majority. Let's let's stop calling it voting rights. What it really is is the Democrats are afraid of Republican dominance in too many states and they want a federal grab of elections so that they can use the power of the federal government to try to hurt Republicans. That's what this really is. And to do it, they have to eliminate the filibuster, a Senate rule. Senate rules can be changed, but it requires a two-thirds vote of the Senate in order to change a rule of the Senate. The Democrats want to unilaterally by themselves with 50 votes plus a tie-breaking vote from the vice president change the rules of the Senate. Who really are the threats to democracy? But yesterday, while arguing that the filibuster must die, what did Democrats do? They used the filibuster. They did. They used the filibuster. They wanted to stop Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz had a piece of legislation that would impose sanctions on the Kremlin over the Nord Stream 2 natural gas pipeline going into Germany. It was a 55-44 vote in favor of Ted Cruz's legislation, but it was on a motion to proceed. In the Senate, 
a piece of legislation does not get to the floor of the Senate unless 60 senators agree they wish to consider it. That's where the filibuster comes in. There's a motion to proceed. You, there's a, you've got to have a 60-vote threshold to get to the Senate floor. And then to cut off debate, you've got to have 60 votes. The legislation itself only needs 51 votes to pass. But to cut off debate, to begin debate and end debate, you've got to have 60 votes. That's the filibuster. 55 members of the United States Senate, including four Democrats, agreed. Actually, I take that back. It was more Democrats than that. It was one, two, three, four, five, six Democrats. Six Democrats agreed with Ted Cruz. Rand Paul, the Republican from Kentucky, actually sided with the White House on this. So it didn't break the filibuster. The Democrats deployed the filibuster yesterday to protect the Kremlin. And let's make no bones about it. That's what happened. The Democratic Party of the United States of America in the United States Senate yesterday literally used the filibuster to protect the Kremlin and at the same time argued the filibuster needs to die. That was pretty brazen. I'm actually kind of impressed that they did that. They used the filibuster to protect Vladimir Putin and the Kremlin from sanctions. A majority of the Senate, and by the way, a majority of the House also supports this piece of legislation. But the White House doesn't. The White House argues that they should be able to do this without the Congress being involved. And they'll go easy on the Kremlin for now. They don't want to escalate the situation in Ukraine with, with the Kremlin. But a majority of Democrat or a majority of the Senate, including six Democrats, uh, agreed with Ted Cruz, and the Democrats had to use the filibuster to block it, and yet they want the filibuster to die. I I've got to applaud their brazenness on this. I, I really do. I'm I'm impressed with their willful level of hypocrisy. Not only that, with how many major media outlets totally chose not to even cover this. Have you heard about it? I mean, you've heard about the Democrats needing to get rid of the filibuster for their voting package. Have you heard they used the filibuster yesterday? Really? Seriously? I I I I don't I don't hear any. I, I hadn't heard anything. There, there were a couple of of news outlets that did, but they were like Substack newsletters. Nothing on the front page of any major news organization. Fascinating how they're covering for the Democrats on their hypocrisy using the filibuster to protect the Kremlin while wanting to get rid of it to advance their power. Now, it's not going to happen. Kristen Cinema, senator from Arizona, she made it very clear yesterday, uh, the filibuster will not change. Eliminating the 60-vote threshold on a party line with the thinnest of possible majorities to pass these bills that I support will not guarantee that we prevent demagogues from winning office. Indeed, some who undermine the principles of democracy have already been elected. Rather, eliminating the 60 vote threshold will simply guarantee that we lose a critical tool that we need to safeguard our democracy from threats in the years to come. It is clear that the two party strategies are not working, not for either side, and especially not for the country. 
Now, I, I, apparently, she always sounds like she's on the verge of tears when she does public speaking. I heard that last night. It sounded like she was about to start crying. Uh, but apparently, that is her her normal rhythm and cadence, and it's dead. The filibuster fight is dead. Uh, in fact, they can't even do it today. They basically had to send the Senate home because Brian Schatz, the ranking member from Hawaii, the Democrat, has COVID, and he can't come back until Sunday. So they literally don't even have 50 votes on the Democratic side right now. They do not have 50 votes. The Republicans actually have more votes in the Senate right now than the Democrats because he's out with COVID and the Senate has no proxy voting like the House does. So they can't do anything until at least next week. It is dead, 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 dead. There's just no way. Uh, the voting bill will be dead. So Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff, they're the new freshmen. They're the, the youngest members of the Senate. They're both from Georgia because of that runoff. Last night, they were holding press conferences demanding votes on the legislation. They still want to get on the record their voting legislation that would amount to a federal grab of state state uh, elections. They literally, so these are the new freshmen from Georgia. They're both very progressive. And they want the people of Vermont and Alaska and Hawaii to set the rules for elections in Georgia and Texas and everywhere else. And they want that vote. And you know what? I suspect they're going to get the vote. The Democrats aren't letting this go. And and, and just think about the message here. The whole reason this is coming up right now is because this is Martin Luther King Day weekend. Everybody's got a three-day weekend. And this is it. But I got to tell you, I think they've done themselves some harm in the way they're proceeding. Uh, here's Jen Psaki yesterday on this at the White House. Oh, go ahead. Give us a few details of what the back and forth was like for the president and the senators at the lunch. He sounded pretty frustrated when he came out. I, I think he sounded passionate. That's what I saw and heard. Um, look, I think the president conveyed directly to the caucus what many people heard him say across the country a couple of days ago uh, that now we face a system a systematic effort to dismantle democracy not just voter suppression but subversion you heard him say that when he came out uh, and spoke to uh, spoke after he left the meeting uh, he conveyed that this is a historic chance to save our democracy need to protect the fundamental form of American government and his view is this should absolutely be bipartisan. I know we've talked a bit about the history of uh, Senator McConnell's support multiple times over, writing about it in his book for voting rights in the past. There are 16 Republicans serving now who supported voting rights in the past. E even as the President has said, Strom Thurmond back, uh, did back in, in the 80s. Obviously, he's not serving today, but just as an example. Um, so that's part of the point he made. Uh, also, I think uh, it's important for everybody to understand that his view is that he would put his record of standing up uh, for the history of the Senate, the institution of the Senate, uh, the rules of the Senate up against anyone's, Democrat, Republican, anyone serving today and before then. But his view is that it's, it's a time, there are times in history, now is one of them, where you can't allow the protection of process to get in the way of protecting people's fundamental rights. Um, that is also an argument that he made uh, today to the caucus. By the way, no one's interfering with fundamental rights. You know, no one, no one cares about this issue. Other than the Democrats, other than the Democrats, nobody really cares about this issue. The Politico did their deep dive survey. I mentioned the other day, the Politico did a deep dive survey on all the different voting rights measures. And you know what one 
None of the above. Which of these three things should Congress pass? None of the above was the number one answer. Democrats, of course, had strong views on it, but independent voters, they do not care about this issue. And how can they care about this issue? Uh, The economy right now is so bad, that's what people care about. Listen to this. This is from the news. We're going to pay more for everything because of the grains that feed the cows, uh, the packaging where we put the soda in. I mean, just about everything is going through the roof. Just about everything is going through the roof. That's what people care about. And it is tone deaf for this administration to be focused on other stuff right now. The Democrats, they've just totally lost the plot on this. That's the, to me, that's the biggest story right now is that the Democrats really have lost the plot on all of this. And I am, I'm, I'm just intrigued by how bad they've gotten at it. The Democratic Party in my lifetime has always been fairly good at having the pulse of the people. Peggy Noonan, and I will spend some time with this later, Peggy Noonan has a piece out of the, in the Wall Street Journal about Joe Biden's speech on Tuesday, and she makes the point that they've gotten into a bubble now. It is largely true that in presidential elections, their party's base can generate a popular vote for the presidency, even as they lose the Electoral College. And the problem is uh, there are more and more people who are leaving the Democratic Party, and arguably a majority of people not now in the Democratic Party, who are not in the Democrats' left-wing bubble, who think differently than the Democrats. And the Democrats never even, they don't even know that people think differently than them because they're in such a bubble, they don't relate to people outside the bubble. And it's going to get them slaughtered at the ballot box. I wonder when the media begins to turn on Joe Biden because of it. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. You can call in 877-973-7425 should you wish to be a part of the program. Sometimes I get criticized from the right for not rushing into topics everyone else is rushing into rapidly and taking my time to get there as if it's a a sign of disloyalty to my side that I'm not uh, jumping on the bandwagon immediately. But I've just, uh, y'all, the conservative movement has been overtaken by crazy to a degree and conspiracy theories. And I just, I, I think I more and more feel like I need to take my time and think I've got to explore all the options before settling on something. Ray Epps. If you're a normal American, you don't care about voting rights and you don't care about Ray Epps. Ray Epps is to the Republican Party what voting rights is to the Democratic Party right now, something that both parties internally are passionately about and no one else in America gives a darn about. Ray Epps is one of the Oath Keepers who was involved in the uh, riot in Washington and the people going into the Capitol. He was seen on multiple cameras, cell phone footage and the like, encouraging people to go on in. His messages prior to the event where he was he was an organizer and he was going. And he appeared on the FBI most wanted list for a time and then disappeared. And a conservative conspiracy theory began that captured the minds of people like Ted Cruz in the Senate and others that he was a government informant and that he had actually... Uh, induced people to go into the Capitol in order to get them arrested 
and that it was just another example of the FBI, like what happened in Michigan with the supposed kidnapping attempt on uh, Gretchen Whitmer or whoever, that um, that it was an FBI informant who kind of helped organize it and entrapped people, and that Ray Epps was a FBI informant. He was working with the FBI, and the sole purpose was to entrap people and encourage them to go in so they could be arrested. That's the theory on Ray Epps, and it never made sense to me, in large part because the FBI inspector general has exposed so much. The FBI inspector general would expose that. I mean, the FBI inspector general, so much of what we know about Peter Strzok and, and the like, it's it's from inspector generals digging in and figuring out what, what's going on. And so there's no way the FBI could get away with something like that. You think the FBI gets away with a lot? They do, but a lot of this big stuff tends to get exposed ultimately by inspectors general. So it never made sense to me, and I've been hesitant to try to figure out what's going on. Mark Hemingway, my friend Mark Hemingway works at Real Clear Investigations. He used to be at the Weekly Standard. He's married to, many of you know, Molly Hemingway. It's her husband. I think he's hit on what actually happened and who Ray Epps is. Ray Epps is an oath keeper. But... He's got a theory, and I got to give him credit for it. And the moment I saw it, I was like, yes, this is exactly what happened. So Epps is seen at the Capitol encouraging people to storm the Capitol. He's never seen inside himself, but he's seen everywhere. And the FBI puts him on the most wanted list. They're searching for this guy. And then suddenly he disappears from the most wanted list. There were indictments that came down yesterday on a lot of the Oath Keepers on uh, their involvement. They're being charged with sedition for organizing what ultimately happened and encouraging people to go inside. He's not one of the ones being charged. And if you read the indictments, they have a whole lot of evidence that, yes, there was an organized movement to get these people to go inside. I don't think Ray Epps was the government informant. I don't think he was working at the Capitol on behalf of the FBI. I think they flipped him. I think he cut a deal. He cut a deal. They could tell he wasn't the brave man they thought he was. They can tell he wasn't the braggadocious guy he claimed to be because he never went inside the Capitol. He stood on the outside. That made him easy to flip. If you're going to tell everybody, I'm going to the Capitol, I'm going to take back the country for Trump, and let's go storm the Capitol, and then you're all say, hey, y'all, y'all go in before me. Yeah. You're, you're, you're not as you're not as 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 um, awesome as you think you are. And clearly, clearly you can be flipped. And so, yes, I agree with Mark Hemingway. I think Reyes was flipped. He's the guy who ratted out everybody else. It's not that he was working beforehand. It's afterwards the FBI went to him, applied pressure and he cut a deal and ratted out all of his friends. That's what I think is going on here with Reyes. Your mileage may vary depending on how close to conspiracy theories you are. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. I hope you're having a great day. Remember, wherever you are east of the Mississippi listening to me, if you're north of I-20 that runs all the way over uh, to the Mississippi, you probably need to stick with your local radio station this weekend because there is some of you are already experiencing it. Uh, as he, uh, the storm's going to blow through further to the east and get to the east coast by Sunday, Monday, uh, enough to cause us to cancel a trip this weekend that we were planning on going on because where we were going is going to get an ice storm and then six inches of snow, and we're not leaving the state of Georgia. So, yeah, pay attention to your local radio. Remember, on your phones and stuff, the audio streaming from radio consumes less data and battery than than video streaming. So radio serves a purpose in this country. Now, the phone number is 
877-973-7425. Let's begin the program on the phones with Lewis. Welcome to the program. Hi, Eric. Um, my comment is that we, we need to think beyond Trump. And the reason I say that is because I, I like his application of what he did four years prior. But when we get to 2024, he's only going to have four years. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this stems from the apathetic nature of the voter. And I think that's what really causes a lot of this downfall. And we always say elections have consequences, but most time ordinary working class people do not pay attention to what's going on when it's time to pay attention. And I think a lot of times what happens is we get so hyperventilated with all the politics, we just get worn out politically. And I think that's what happens with the apathetic nature not going to the polls. Yeah, look, I, I agree with you. Uh, and there are a lot of apathetic people, and, and people do also get worn out because it seems like we're in a never-ending political cycle, and and they just they got to pull out of it and take a break. You make probably the most cogent argument about Trump in twenty four is that historically, with the exception of what Jimmy Carter, George H W Bush, and Donald Trump, presidents since World War II almost all get second terms. So you're giving away a second Republican term in what it would be 2028 if you elect Trump in 2024 because the Constitution says you only serve a maximum of eight years as president. Uh, so why do you want to do that as opposed to going with a, a Hawley, a Cotton, a Cruz, a DeSantis, a Haley who could get eight total years? Because, again, since World War II, you've got uh, Ford doesn't really count because he was never elected the first time. So you got Jimmy Carter. You've got George H.W. Bush, and you've got Donald Trump. Those are the only three since World War II. And, and I, again, there, there are some there's some nuancing here because, for example, Lyndon Johnson, he finished out Kennedy's term. He didn't run for re-election. But without those little nuances for Johnson and, and, and Ford, if you understand this, this, this makes a lot of sense since World War II. Really, before that, presidents tend to get re-elected incumbency has an advantage and if you were to elect donald trump in 2024 the constitution only allows presidents to serve two terms there's only one exception and that is if you become if you're the vice president and you become president after your president has served two two years in office you can get two terms plus those two years so you can ultimately, someone could, the maximum time someone could serve as president is 10 years, and in, that's only in the case if someone uh, succeeds a president in the middle of his term. Otherwise, it's just eight total years. So if Donald Trump gets elected in 2024, he can only serve from 2024, really 2025 to 2029, and then he's gone which gives Republicans a latent disadvantage in that they could in turn have a president who serves for eight years. They will have to fight it all over again in another messy primary uh, in 2028 if Trump wins. So that probably is the most cogent argument against a second term for Donald Trump in 2024. It probably is. I mean, there are lots of other issues there, but that one in and of itself does make some sense. Uh, now, uh, back to the phones. John, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. Morning, Eric. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. 
And I was curious, are there enough votes in the center for Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema to run as a team and win a moderate presidential election? I really doubt it. Uh, first of all, I don't know that they're interested. Uh, secondly, Joe Manchin as a Democrat plays well in West Virginia, but he wouldn't play well in any Democratic progressive part of the country, and he wouldn't play as well as another Republican somewhere else. Uh, Kristen Cinema herself is actually fairly progressive. You may not realize it, but she was a code pink activist during the Bush years. Uh, anti-war, uh, very pro-abortion, but now she's alienated herself from progressives over the filibuster. When that came out, she'd have a hard time making it through any sort of primary for a Republican. I mean, the reality is, I mean, you almost have to use the Nixon strategy at, at the presidential level of you've got to run to your base in the primary and then run away from your base in the general election. And uh, that that makes it hard for someone like a mansion in a cinema to run because they've essentially run away from the base of their party already. And if they try to run back to their bases... It would um, probably be problematic for them to do. So, look, Democrats right now are actually floating a Biden-Cheney ticket. What about that? I mean, that tells you how bad things are for Kamala Harris. Oh, we're going to get into how bad things are for Kamala Harris here. But the Democrats in the media are floating a Biden-Cheney ticket. Now, listen, I want to say something here. This is going to make friends of mine mad at me. And I know they're going to send me text messages. Members of the media are floating a Biden-Cheney ticket. First of all, that's a pretty damning indictment on Kamala Harris that members of the media would be floating this for 2024. Secondly, it's not going to happen. You may not like Liz Cheney. In fact... I am to the right of Liz Cheney on a host of issues. But believe it or not, though you may not realize it, Liz Cheney voted with Donald Trump when he was president between 85 and 90% of the time. Liz Cheney actually is a Republican. She actually is on the center right. She is far more aggressive on foreign policy than I am and a little more moderate on social issues than I am. On fiscal issues, she's pretty fairly consistently conservative. And most people would give her a pass on the right if she were not so combative about the Donald Trump situation. That's just the reality of it. Uh, most people on the right uh, would be in the Liz Cheney fan club if she wasn't so aggressively outspoken against Donald Trump. Now, hardcore conservatives never will be because I perceive Liz Cheney to be actually more moderate than her dad. I adore her dad, uh, but she is. I personally like Liz Cheney a tremendous amount. Uh, I, I think that she's probably doing going about things in ways that are ill-advised. I don't believe that she's out there trying to angle for a TV gig after she may very well cost herself a primary. But frankly, I appreciate politicians on both sides of the aisle, whether I agree with them or not, who are willing to do things they principally believe in that could cost them election. It is very rare these days to see any politician in Washington on the left or right who is willing to take a principled stand that could cost them the election and to take it because they believe it's right. And at least she does. She is definitely her father and her mother's daughter. Now, Back to the phones. John, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program, John. Thank you, Eric. I would like to, first of all, tell you how much I appreciate your honesty and 
just about everything that that happens. And Thank it's you. Just a, uh, it's just a real pleasure to listen to you every morning. And I'm going I'm going to show you how how dumb I am. But I, I've been listening to this stuff about the filibuster and the, and the getting the sixty votes. Can you explain exactly what happens there? In other words, if they get the filibuster shot out, does that mean they get what they want? I, I'm just confused on that angle. Can you help me out here? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, so, John, um, back in the late 1700s, well before Jim Crow, contrary to what they decided, you know, we, we passed the Constitution in the late 1780s, and one of the provisions in the Constitution is Article 1, Section 5, each house shall determine its rules of its proceedings. And in the Senate, the early Senate in the late 1700s, put in a rule that you could not shut off debate in the Senate without two-thirds agreement to close debate. This was a fairly standard rule in parliaments at the time. It was embraced by the United States Senate as a rule that senators could each speak twice, and after every senator had the opportunity to speak twice, then debate would close. If they wanted debate to close sooner, it took a two-thirds vote of the Senate to shut it down. That is the filibuster right there, that two-thirds vote to make senators stop talking sooner than they otherwise would have to. Now, fast forward to the 1970s, and they reduced that from a two-thirds vote to just 60 votes in the Senate. So to now in the Senate, in order to begin debate on a piece of legislation, 60 senators have to agree to begin a debate on it. In order to stop the debate, 60 senators have to agree to stop the debate. If you can't get 60 senators to agree, then you cannot even begin the debate on legislation and you can never stop them from talking about it. So in other words, you can never get to a vote. It takes 60 oh, votes okay. to begin and end debate. But then let's say you get 60 senators to say, yes, let's debate this. And then you get 60 senators to say, okay, we're done talking about it. Then it only takes 51 votes to pass it. All that filibuster is about is whether or not they should consider it, not whether they should approve it. Does that make sense? It makes excellent sense. And I, I appreciate that. I didn't realize that. And it's going to amaze you, the people that really don't understand that, that I've talked to, because I've tried to talk to my sons, who are both college-educated, very smart gentlemen, and they couldn't explain. But, no, I understand what you're saying. So you've got to have the 60 votes before you can even start the debate, right? Right. Yes, you got to have 60 members of the Senate who are willing to debate the legislation. Uh, you only need 51 to approve it, but you got to have 60 to start talking about it. I got you. So that if they eliminated the filibuster, would that mean you only needed 50 to start talking about it? Correct. Okay, yeah, that makes perfectly good sense now. Okay, now, now, now John, there's one more random bit of trivia that you can impress all your friends with. Uh, you know how the Democrats say the filibuster is a product of racism and Jim Crow? Oh, yeah. The, okay, so the very first filibuster in the United States Senate was in 1832, before the Civil War. And the issue that was filibustered was whether or not the United States Senate should change the person who printed their legislation. Wow. That, 
That was it. Um, A majority (laughs) in the Senate wanted to change the printer because it turned out the printer was of the other political party. And uh, the Whigs in the Senate filibustered uh, to prevent them from firing the printer for the legislation. That that was that was the it wasn't about race or anything. It was about who should print up the pieces of legislation. <laughs> Got you covered. I, I'm 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 all full of knowledge now. I'll impress my sons. But anyway, I appreciate Good. that. That was excellent. Explained exactly like I, I I knew somebody could do it. And again, I just appreciate your honesty, and I listen to you every day. John, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. The phone number, if you want to be part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Let's get to Ken before we go to commercial break. Ken, welcome to the program. Hi, uh, Eric. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I've had a, uh, a lot of thought about the, uh, the candidates that we need to put in place as Republicans. And I think it has to be more about what they can do for the country. The the economy's off the rails, so we need somebody that's good uh, with getting the economy back on the rails. And we got a problem internationally with China and Russia, so we need to have two candidates, president and vice president, that are strong in that. And I think Trump obviously has a track record, and so does Pompeo. So I would start with them first. Trump has a one-term presidency, then I would hope that Pompeo would get enough respect that he could be the next presidency, but he could take a, somebody like DeSantis and make him the vice president. And then as he ages out, DeSantis could come in as the president and Tom Cotton or somebody like that strong in foreign policy could back him up. So, yeah, you know, the, 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 problem there and that that not a bad idea it's well thought out ken the problem there of course are all the machinations that happen behind the scenes i I will tell you this one of the things i am genuinely truly fascinated about in american history is the way that our uh presidents and vice presidents have over time aligned to the needs of the nation so early on when you look at the list of of presidents you were very likely to become president if you were secretary of state. You were very likely to become president if you were secretary of state early on. As the nation started growing and was dealing with foreign things, I mean, Thomas Jefferson had been secretary of state, Madison, Monroe, uh, John Quincy Adams was John Adams' son, and, and then over time it began to shift after Andrew Jackson. You had this populist streak of people. You started turning inwardly, focused inwardly. Uh, and then after the Civil War, you start expanding again, and you got a lot of governors in there, and, and governors started being people who got elected regularly as president of the United States. The, the Roosevelts were in there. Uh, and, and then we had this, this shift outward again, and you had senators, but then you started getting a lot of vice presidents getting elected to replace their presidents. Uh, but oftentimes, the big presidential issue, depending on, on the mood of the country, you get a governor elected, when it is a um, when the nation is focusing inward, and you get a vice president or a secretary of state or someone with a lot of foreign policy experience elected, when the country starts focusing outward, um, it's always been an interesting dynamic to me how the country shifts like that. All right, we're going to take a time out here. The phone number is eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. We'll be back momentarily. 
Howdy. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. Let me see. David, I think I might be able to squeeze in your call here before we're out of time. Welcome to the program. How are you? Yeah. Hey, Eric. I'm doing great today. Hey, I just want to wanted to point out, and I don't know if a lot of listeners know this or not, and I'm, I'm sure you certainly do, and I want to get your opinions on what kind of problems it has caused since it was changed. But the senators used to be selected by the state legislatures, and they were in D.C. to represent the interests of the states to the federal government. Mm-hmm. Now the state has absolutely no say-so in what goes on or gets passed in D.C. now because you've got two houses that are elected by the public. Right. So uh, you know, you've got things that, you know, the federal federal government may come out with a new program they want to pass and say they're going to fund it for the first year. But after that, it's up to the states. And the states right. can't say, no, we can't afford that. And just a number of issues yeah, and state, so, uh, things that know, have happened to the states. Antonin Scalia, when I was in law school, uh, Scalia spoke at my law school. And someone asked him uh, if there was one thing in the Constitution he could change unilaterally, what would it be? And he said, getting rid of the 16th Amendment, uh, which is the direct election of senators, uh, he said that would fundamentally transform Washington and put it back towards what the founders wanted with more appreciation for state rights. Um, Although I will say this, prior to the passage of the 16th Amendment, uh, more than a third of the states had already moved to direct election of senators. And the reason they did that historically is because state elections for state legislators all became about uh, who's going to pick the senator and major corporate interests of the day. The railroad barons and the oil guys uh, would fund elections around the country, trying to machinate in the states to who they could get in Washington to help them out. So there are issues there that have to be thought of, but I still like the idea because the states have to matter. And right now the left in particular in this country believe the states should just be uh, autonomous uh, subdivisions of the federal government when really The federal government is an outsourced body of the states. The states surrendered a little bit of power to Washington and keep all the other power. That's why the 10th Amendment is so important. We should get back to appointed senators, uh, but it would take uh, two-thirds of each House of Congress and three-quarters of the states to agree to do that. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution if you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business. First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no. It's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan. Say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com.